the world around you, your world was collapsing. Like all of a sudden, you couldn't breathe. Things are collapsing around you. Maybe it took a long period of time. And over time, you realize this situation is getting worse and worse. And whether the situation came quickly or whether the situation came over a long period of time, that you realize now this thing is in front of me and I feel like it's all I can focus on. I can't, I can't, I can't breathe. Nothing really matters except that. This demands immediate action, immediate attention. Something has to be done in my life. We're going to see the story of how Jesus interacted with two people this morning, that that was their life situation. They had something going on that required immediate attention and immediate action. And we get to see that their response is going to be to come to Christ in faith, to fall at his feet, and to see his power. But before we get started in our text, let's pray. Father, we thank you for a morning that we can glorify you. Father, we thank you for um, lips and ears that we can sing your praise and hear about you. Father, my prayer is that we would be humble this morning, that we would be at rest and at peace with you to listen and yet stirred in our souls to take action. Father, I pray that we would be teachable, that we would take this moment to focus on you and on your word and what you might have for us this morning. Father, we need you to lead us. We need you to guide us and through the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. We pray that you'd be here in a real way this morning. Father, we love you. And we pray this in Christ's strong name. Amen. If you would, please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on the seat backs in front of you or on the bottom of the seats. Grab a Bible. Uh, you are going to need it this morning. Open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. I think in the Pew Bible, it's on page 52 in the Bible, in the New Testament section. Luke chapter 8. As a background for what we're going to talk about this morning, I really need to talk about the, the context of Luke chapter 8. Okay, so I'm starting in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Um, in verse 1, it says that Jesus began going around from one city and one village to another, proclaiming and teaching the kingdom of God and that the twelve were with him and also some of the women that he had healed. So we dive into our story with Jesus going around from one city, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And it's in this context that he is going to teach several parables. He's going to teach the parable of the soils or of the sower, where he's going to tell them that the seed is the word of God. And our response to the word is very important. He's going to tell them, don't let your faith be hidden. Uh, your faith is to be uh, like a lamp that is to be uncovered. He is then going to take the disciples in verse 22, get into the boat and uh, get on the ocean, get on the Sea of Galilee. He says, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And as they're sailing along, Jesus falls asleep. You're very familiar with the passage, right? He falls asleep. The wind, a fierce gale of wind, descends on the lake, and they begin to be swamped in the boat and to be in danger. They come to Jesus, they wake him up, and they say what? Master, Master, we are perishing, we are going to die. Jesus says to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? He does this in the context of producing and doing a great miracle. He stops the sea and the wind. 
And he doesn't say to them, see how I stopped the sea and the wind. He says to them, where is your faith? We don't get to read their answer, but we do hear how they speak to each other. They say, who is this who commands even the wind and the waves? Who is this man that we're with? It says in verse 26 that they sail to the other side of the Sea of Galilee to the area of the Gerasenes. It says that Jesus came out, verse 27, onto the land. He's met by a man from the city who's possessed with demons. It says he had not had on any clothing for a long time. He was not living in a house, uh, but in the tombs. Um, I've met some Texas fans like that. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Um, probably going to get in trouble for saying that. Seeing Jesus, this man in the tombs, cries out, falls before him, says in a loud voice this, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Uh, other text in the uh, other gospels would say there's actually a second man with him, maybe more than two. Um, but there is definitely one man here who comes out who is demon-possessed, and the people in the town lock him up in chains. And they put him in these chains, and he is so powerful, he breaks these chains, and he begins to run through the tombs, presumably screaming and yelling and cutting himself. They lock him back up. He then breaks the chains again. Jesus meets him probably 30 miles inland from the Sea of Galilee, and when he meets them, they say, what do you want with us? Jesus says in verse 30, what is your name? And he says, legion, for many demons had entered him. Jesus then casts out the demons into a herd of swine. They fall off uh, the cliff and are drowned. Verse 35, the people of the city of the area of the Decapolis, non-Jewish area, they come out to see what had happened. They come to Jesus and they find the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they become frightened. Again, the disciples in some way were frightened when he calmed the storm. These people are frightened that he just healed this man that was so sick, it is unimaginable that he could heal someone like that. They are frightened. Is he a magician? What is he doing? And they tell him, please leave our area. Go on, get out of here. We don't want you here. Jesus says to the man who wants to come with him and uh, presumably minister with Jesus or help him, he says, no, you stay here in this area and tell about what I have done. The people are having me leave. You stay here, tell what I have done. He says, return to your house, describe what great things God has done for you. And with this, we come to verse 40, which is where we're going to start our section and our two people this morning that we're going to look at. We're going to see here uh, a Jewish synagogue leader, someone at the top of Jewish society, a lay leader in the synagogue, and we're going to see an unclean, poor uh, woman who is bleeding. Okay, two people in our story. And we're going to see what their response is to Jesus. Um, we see here in verse 40, it says this, As Jesus returned from the other side of the sea, the people welcomed him, for they had all been waiting for him. It's quite a different reaction than the other side, isn't it? Why had they been waiting for him? He had already done miracles there. They're waiting for him. So the crowd is there. The other uh, gospel says that the crowds pressed up on him, and he stayed, therefore, by the water. So he keeps the water behind him. Jesus is there. These crowds have come up to him. And into this mass of people, maybe several hundred people, comes a man, Jairus. It says in verse 41, there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue. And he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house. So there is a man here who is affiliated both vocationally and religiously with the Jewish people, and it doesn't matter to him. He is in a situation. His daughter is dying. 
Look at verse 42. His only daughter, 12 years old, and she is dying. It says the crowds pressed against him. So he comes into this crowd. His daughter is dying. He leaves behind his dignity and his pride. Doesn't that happen when we're in a situation where we need Christ, where we need help? All of a sudden, it doesn't matter what people think of us, does it? If you're in a really tight situation, a really bad situation, all of a sudden it's like, I just need help. He says, I need help. This may cost me my job. This may cost me my way of life. I need help. And help is to be found in this man, Jesus, who the people around me say is not the Messiah. He is not the one to follow. But I have heard stories of him healing people. I need that. I need him. I'm willing to come. And the text says here that he comes and he falls at Jesus' feet. Look at that. He falls at Jesus' feet. Middle of verse 41. It says his response when he comes is that he throws himself on the ground. He falls and he begins to implore him. He begins to beg. So the question on the table is, have you ever fallen at Jesus' feet? Has there ever been a time when you've come to Christ and said, I can't do this on my own? I've got a serious problem. I need you and you fall at his feet. It may have been for your salvation. It may have been you realize that you need a Savior, that you are sinful, and that you need to place your faith and your hope in his death and his burial and his resurrection for your life and for life itself. And you fall at his feet, and you say, Jesus, I need you. Help me. Save me. It might have been a life situation that you couldn't get yourself out of. And you come and you fall at his feet and you say, I have faith in who you are. I don't know what you are going to do, but I'm going to fall at your feet and trust in you. Have you ever done that? If not, why not? Have you, have you never fallen at the feet of Christ for anything? Would it be unbelief? Don't believe in who he is. Would it be pride? We're too prideful to come and fall at his feet. What is it? Have we never fallen at his feet before? An instance like this will make you fall at the feet of something. You can't breathe. You can't think of anything else. That's where he is, and he says, I'm going to come, and I'm going to fall at the feet of this man. You can imagine the scene. The crowd is pressing in upon him. Jesus, fall, I mean, Jesus is standing there. Jairus falls at his feet. The people probably begin whispering, his, his daughter's dying. Look, that's the Jewish synagogue guy. He's, he's going to talk to that teacher. Look what's happening. What's going to happen here? You can imagine the whispers that are going through the crowd. Um, it's at this time, right when we want to know what's going to happen, that the story is going to bring a second person in. So look back at your text. Verse 43 says this. And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone <clears throat> came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Do you ever feel when you read your scripture that they pack a lot into one verse? Or they, they say things that are like, ho-hum, this happened. Okay, it says here that this lady who had been bleeding for 12 years touched him and was healed. Ho-hum, let's go on to the next story, right? It sounds a little like Colossians 1, one of my favorite sections of scripture, says this, for by him all things were created, both the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Next verse, right? This is one of those verses. 
Okay, he, in, this, in that case, oh, he created the world, he holds it together, let's go on to the next one, right? In this case, it is a woman comes up to him, she comes up to him from behind, she doesn't come from the front, Jairus came from the front, right? He's a Jewish uh, authority, he's a man, he can come in, she comes from the back. You see, it said she had been bleeding for 12 years. That's the exact time that Jairus' daughter had been alive, right? He has a 12-year-old. So for the, the length of time that he has had this daughter, we don't know healthy or we don't know sick with his daughter, for that length of time she has been bleeding. And in that society that made her unclean. This meant that anything she touched became unclean. She couldn't sit in a chair, the chair became unclean. She couldn't lay in her bed. If she did, she had to wash the, she uh, the sheets in a certain way. It's Leviticus 15. It says that if you touch her, you have to go wash your clothes in water, then you have to wash yourself, and then you're unclean through the evening. So not only does she have a serious physical illness, I can't imagine what it would be like to, have to bleed, how I would feel after 12 years of bleeding. She has a serious physical illness. She can't touch anybody. She can't go to worship. She can't have a job where she would touch anybody. She is cast out from her society as a leper would be. She has nothing. This is this lady's life. Um, you know, Luke is a physician, and without trying to offend, I'll, I'll look down so I don't offend any physicians in here. He does leave out part of the text here that uh, uh, we see in Mark. It says she has endured much at the hands of many physicians and spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. Okay. So this lady for all these years had gone to many doctors, and there are great, great doctors. She'd gone to many doctors. She had spent all the money that she had on these doctors trying to come up with a plan to heal her. She'd probably taken some very strange remedies to try and heal her bleeding. And it says she was not helped at all, but rather she had grown worse. Her bleeding didn't stay the same. It got worse. She went to this doctor. He said, do this. She did it. It got worse. She went to this doctor. He said, do this. It got worse. Worse and worse and worse for 12 years. She has struggled with this. At that point, she is at that point that I spoke to you about where it doesn't really matter what people think. I need help. It doesn't really matter. She is unclean. There's no way she should be around a crowd of people. Maybe that is why some writers would think that she is not from that area. If she was from that area, people would have known her and known that she was unclean and would have started shouting when she came near the crowd, go away, you're going to make all of us unclean, unless she had somehow maybe slipped in the back. They would have known who she was. She would have been ostracized as unclean. So she's a social outcast. She has no money, and she's hurting. And at that point, she says, I'm going to go to Jesus. How did she find out about Jesus? If she couldn't go out in society, if she didn't probably have many friends... Flip back with me to Luke chapter 6, and maybe we'll see here how she found out about him. Flip back to chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 6, in verse 12, says that uh, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer. And after he spent the whole night in prayer, in verses 13 through 16, you see that he calls the disciples. So he calls the disciples to be his disciples after a night in prayer. And in verse 17, it says this, Jesus came down with them and stood on a level place, and there was a large crowd of his disciples and a great throng of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the coastal region of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were being cured, and all the people were trying to touch him, for power was coming out from him and healing them all. 
says that Christ calls his disciples, and the first thing he does is thrust them into a ministry situation where there are a lot of sick and hurting and ill people coming to him trying to touch him. And it says that the people who came to him were healed. End of verse 18. So maybe this lady had a friend who had gone to that. Maybe she had seen people who were being healed by this Jesus and went back and told her friend, look, there's a man named Jesus, and when people touch him, they are healed. Possibly. Maybe she had a friend who was healed. Maybe there was someone else unclean that had some sort of disease that had gone to this particular place with Christ and been healed and came back and said, you're not going to believe this. I touched this man and I was healed. Maybe that's what caused her to go. Maybe that's how she found out. In any case, she responds in faith to come to Christ. In Mark, he says we know what she's thinking. This is very interesting. Usually in the biblical text, they don't tell you what the character's thinking. And you're wondering, what are you thinking when you make this choice? And we don't get to know. But in this situation, Mark says what she's thinking. She's thinking this, if I just touch his garments, I will get well, the lady thought. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. So she's fighting through this crowd of people from behind saying, if I just touch his garments, I will get well. If I just touch his garments, I will get well. And she reaches up to Jesus and touches him, not only on just the outside of his clothes, but the text says here the fringe, right? She just touches the very fringe of his cloak, the blue lining area around the Jewish teacher. She grabs this little blue part of his cloak, and immediately she is healed. Immediately. Okay? Jesus says this. He says, uh, who's the one who touched me? Look there, verse 45. Who's the one who touched me? He knows that someone touched him, and he knows who it is. And she knows she had been healed. Very interestingly, uh, the text says in, uh, in Mark that she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. So she goes up and touches the fringe of Jesus' cloak, immediately is healed, and she knows she's healed. I don't know if you have a disease or a problem or a situation that if it was healed right now at this moment that you would know probably most of them, right? You would know. She knew. I have immediately been healed. She's stunned. She's healed. Jesus says this, who's the one who touched me? She probably begins panicking. She's not been allowed in social situations for 12 years. Even if she was the most outgoing lady that ever existed, she is now panicking because this man in the midst of this throng of people is saying, who touched me? And it was her. You know, is it the feel if she was caught with her hand in the cookie jar? Possibly. She feels that way. If she was shy, this is going to be terrible for her, right? Who touched me? The disciples in all true form of the disciples say this, verse 45, while everyone around is denying it, Peter says this, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. Why are you asking us who touched you? There's 300 people here. It's just like leaving a basketball or a football game if somebody touched you and you want to know who it is, you know, it's almost like they, when they say later on, you know, there are thousands of people here. How can we feed them? You have these loaves and these fish. What do you mean who touched you? And Jesus says this, look, verse 46. He says, someone did touch me. I am aware that power has gone out from me. Someone touched me. And it's important enough for Jesus to keep pressing the issue. There's a reason he's going to do this. And you're like, well, what does he want to do? Does he want to embarrass the lady? No. No. He wants the lady, one, to know that he knows. 
He wants the lady to be ministered to by getting the opportunity to share what God has done. He wants the people around her to know what happened so that they can see and hear of his power. He has reasons and he has purposes. It's not going to make it any easier for the lady. Look at verse 47. It says this, When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. Here it is. The woman cannot escape notice. This man has stopped the entire situation. He has stopped the entire situation. Oh, no. Okay, here goes. What does she do? She comes trembling. She falls down before him. It sounds like Jairus, doesn't it? Same text. It says, he came from the front and said, I'm a Jewish ruler. My daughter is dying. I need help. You need to come to my house. She came from the back. She says, I am dying. I need help. Same thing happened. He falls down on his face. She falls down on her face. She falls at the feet of Christ. And it says this, she declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. Because if I touched him, I was going to be healed. If I touched him, I was going to be healed. So I touched him. And she declares this, and also, look at this, how she had been immediately healed. She gives the testimony of what just happened to all of these people that are around Jesus. She falls down on the ground, and she said, I thought if I just touched him, I would be healed, and it happened. I was immediately healed. That's her testimony to the people there. Again, the disciples are probably standing around saying, what's happening here? We were going to go to this guy's house, this Jairus, this Jewish guy, and and." and the Jewish people were going to see us do something and maybe believe more in Jesus, and now we're stopped for this lady who's unclean, and we have this healing, and, you know, let's just get the crowd moving. Jesus says, no, that life is important. And look at what he says to her, verse 48, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Only time in the Gospels that Jesus calls someone his daughter. Only time. Remember, he says, those who are my mother and my daughter are those who do the will of God, who not only know it but do it. She did it. She acted out in faith and threw herself at his feet. She did the will of God. He calls her his daughter, an unclean woman who, he has, tu- who has touched him, and by her touching him would have made him unclean. Don't miss that. He says, this is my daughter. And he says, daughter of mine, your faith has made you well. He tells her, this is what made you well. Your faith has made you well. And he says, go in peace. I guess the question would be, what is our faith in? What, when you get in that situation where you feel like you can't get out, where you feel like you can't breathe, where everything fades away except for the situation that you're facing, what is your faith in? What is my faith in? Her faith was in Jesus Christ and who he was and his power. If she had had faith in something that was false, this wouldn't have happened. She could have had all the faith in the world that a false teacher or an idol could have healed her, and it wouldn't have happened. She had faith in the actual object that she should have faith in, the person of Christ. Don't get all excited. I do want to take a second. I want you guys to bow your heads. Bow your heads. Don't get all excited. The service is not ending. (laughs) Bow your heads for a second. I want to ask you a question. I want you to concentrate on it. What is an area of your life in which you need his healing? 
What is an area of life in which you need Christ's healing? You need His power. You need to touch Him. What is that area? Are you willing to fall at His feet? Are you willing to fall at Christ's feet to give Him that area and to let Him bear it, to see His power in that area? Father, we do believe. Father, we have faith. We ask that you would increase our faith, that you would help our unbelief. Amen. Now, while this story has been going on, while this woman has been being healed, Jairus, whose daughter is dying, has been standing there. Have you ever had something in life that's been very hard going on in your life and all of a sudden you see somebody else get that? His daughter's dying, he's watching, and, and this lady gets to be healed. Those are difficult situations. We don't know what he's feeling. The text just doesn't tell us. But he has watched this lady get healed. He's probably just like the disciples saying, let's go, let's go. My daughter is dying. What is happening here? How can this be happening? How can he be stopping to heal this lady? My daughter is dying. And while Jesus is talking, saying, Daughter, your faith has made you well, to this lady, an official from his house runs up to him. And this official runs up to him and says this. Look at your Bible. Verse 49, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. Another gospel account says that his daughter was real sick or had died before he came. This one says she dies while he is there. The point is that this official comes up, and while this actual healing with Jesus is happening, his daughter dies. This, this person says, it's too late. It's too late. Leave the teacher alone now. Come back and mourn with us for your daughter is dead. But you see, he didn't know Jesus. He said, the teacher, leave the teacher alone. Jesus was a teacher, yes, but Jesus was God incarnate. Jesus was God in the flesh, not just the teacher. It's not just leave the teacher alone. He didn't know Jesus. And so he says this very, what we would consider unkind or rude thing, leave him alone and just come home, your daughter is dead. And it says, the text says, when Jesus hears this, he answers him. He says to Jairus, do not be afraid any longer, only believe, and she will be made well. He says, don't be afraid, no matter what this man has said to you that she's dead, don't be afraid. You believe, and she will be made well. And the group of people continues on to his house. When they get to his house, the scene is probably crazy due to the fact that you had to uh, tend to the body in Jewish society very quickly after death. There were probably professional mourners already there and hired. There's probably weeping going on from the mourners. There's weeping going on from the family. The scene is crazy. It says here uh, in the text, it says that verse 52, they were all weeping and lamenting for her, but he said, stop weeping for she has not died, but she is asleep. So Jesus goes into this house. It says that he took Peter, James, and John, the same three that he was going to take on the transfiguration, right? The same three disciples. He takes them. The, the mother comes out of the house. The father, Jairus, is with them. These five go into the house, and he says to all these people who are weeping and crying, stop weeping. They have to be thinking, this is a very insensitive man. This is not what you would get in hospice training or pastoral training. If somebody has died in a home, go in and say, would everybody please just quit crying? 
That's what Jesus does. He says, he says, stop weeping. He says, she's not dead. She's asleep. And the text says they begin laughing at him. They're laughing at him because they knew she had died. We know what a dead person is. This girl is dead, and she is dead. We know. And they're laughing. You can imagine when they're crying, they're crying, and all of a sudden it turns to laughter. It's sort of the same feel, sort of the same emotion, except it changes over just to a laughter. They're just laughing at him. How can you be saying these things? She's dead. Jesus, in this situation, um, gets angry. This, this text doesn't say it, but the, actually the text in, uh, I believe it's the text in Mark, it says that Jesus puts them all out. If they aren't going to believe in him, they are not going to witness this miracle. They are not going to see this. It says that he puts them out. So he is going to keep the immediate family. We don't know if he put them out of the room she was in or if he put them out of the house they were in. But it says he puts them out. So the mourners, the, the family members, the extended family who is all crying, he puts them out. And it says that after he puts them out, look at this, verse 54, he goes over to the child who is dead. It says he took her by the hand and he called saying, child, arise. This is the best part. Child, arise. The child is dead. Jesus goes over and touches her, making himself ritually unclean, just like when the woman touched him. Doesn't have to touch her, does he? Jesus can heal somebody without touching them. He chooses to touch this dead girl and touches her, and he says, arise. She doesn't groggily come out of a coma. It says this, her spirit returned, and she got up immediately. What happened to the woman? How was she healed? She was healed immediately. What happens to this girl? She's healed immediately. Jesus then gives orders for something to be given to her to eat. I love that part, too. She gets food. Her parents were amazed. And he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus just healed somebody from the dead. He has made someone who is dead alive. This is a miracle of unimaginable proportion to show his power. It says that this man who came and fell at his feet in faith begged Jesus. Jesus follows him to his house, and he makes his daughter come back to life, just like he healed the woman before. Two wonderful, wonderful accounts that really happened. And they really happened, and yet I still have a question. I still have a question. So my question for the Word of God, for God Himself, would be, God, if I believe in You, if I am in faith, if I am relying on You, and I come to You, I run to You, and I throw myself at Your feet, if I do that in faith, will You solve my problem? Right? You solved it for these two people, will You solve mine? That's what I want to know. Is that what you want to know? It's at the back of your mind, maybe? Some of you may just want to know what time we're leaving. We'll be out of here in about 45 minutes. I even wore a watch. We'll be fine. We'll be fine. That's what I want to know. Why do I want to know that? Because I know the faith of the Corbleys, and I know what it was like to be at Kelly's funeral, and I know what it's like to say, Lord, why didn't you raise Kelly? I know what it's like to see Jan sick. I know what it's like to see my wife's jaw hurt so bad she's on pain medicine every day for a year and a half. 
Is, if we do this, if we fall at your feet, is this something that will happen? Will you heal us? And in order to do that, in order to understand if that is true, I want to look through my Bible and see the instances of that happening or not happening, right? This is one instance in the life. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Turn with me. Let's, let's look at this. The Word of God is more than sufficient to answer our questions. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, I was, Because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, to keep me from being prideful, from exalting myself, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. There was given to me a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. So this is the one who wrote much of our New Testament, probably the most important Christian after the Lord Jesus in the history of Christianity. This is the one. And it says that the Lord uh, allowed this thorn in the flesh to be with him. It doesn't tell us what it is. And look at what Paul does. He does the exact thing we're saying. It says in verse 8, Concerning this thorn in the flesh, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. This is not a Jewish person associated with Jewish people who don't believe in Christ. This is not necessarily an unclean lady coming to him. This is Paul himself. And he uses the same words, right? I implored him. I begged Jesus that this might leave me. I didn't just beg him once. I begged him three different times. And what happened with Paul? The Lord did not take it away. The Lord did not heal Paul. So we have an instance of these people showing faith and falling down at Christ and Christ healing them. We have Paul begging the Lord to take this away and him not doing it. You see, the, the, the question, maybe the point of the text is to see the power of God. It's not the healing in the situation, but it's, it's the person exercising their faith and God's power being seen. Would you say God's power was seen in Paul's life? You bet. Planted churches all over Asia. Yes, yes, the power of God was seen in his life. He says this in verse 9. He has said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. He says, Jesus says to Paul, I'm not going to take this. I'm not going to take it away. I'm not going to heal this, but my grace is sufficient. The one who created the world, who loves you more than you love yourself, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows exactly what you want and exactly what you need, my grace is sufficient for you. Does he tell Paul, here's the reason why I'm not going to do it? No. But he says, my grace is sufficient. Again, you guys know when, when Lori's mom passed away, my wife, Lori, when, her mom passed away when she was eight, after leading her father to the Lord. She was the godly Christian lady in the family, um, a light for Christ, um, loved the Lord. The Lord took her home when Lori was eight. I never got to meet her. Um, the Lord uh, chose to not heal her. He chose not to heal Kelly. And he doesn't tell us why. But he tells us, my grace is sufficient for you. He says that my power is perfected in weakness. 
The goal is that God would be glorified, not necessarily that the situation would change. And that's hard because we want the situation to change because it's our life and it's our people that we love. We want it to change. He says it may change, it may not. But I love you more than you love yourself and I know what you need and my grace is going to be sufficient for your life. Look at one more passage here before we close. Flip over to the book of Hebrews. Keep going right in your Bible. After all the T's, come to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11 is wonderful. It's the hall of faith. In Hebrews 11, we get to hear how uh, both a definition of faith in verse 1 and then also the people throughout church history, throughout the Old Testament, who exercised their faith and what happened to them. Wonderful passage. And it starts out the verses in this section uh, by saying these things, by faith. So you see this? Look at this. Verse 3, by faith. Verse 4, by faith, Abel. Verse 5, by faith, Enoch. Verse 7, by faith, Noah. Verse 8, by faith, Abraham. Verse 11, by faith, even Sarah. Verse 13, they died in faith. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac. 21, by faith, Jacob. 22, by faith, Joseph. 23, by faith, Moses. You get the idea, right? A lot of faith. A lot of faith. Wonderful. We read this and we're going, yes, God. Look at all these instances that you acted in power through somebody's faith. And we get to this section, and we get to verse 32. And it gets even better. Look at this. It says in 32, What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Yes, Lord, you acted in power and you changed the world through people of faith. And their situations glorified you. Yes, Lord. But if you stop there, you miss the rest of the story. Keep reading. Look at verse 35 in the middle. It says, others were tortured, not accepting their release so that they might obtain a better resurrection. It says, others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. It says, the people who followed Christ and acted in faith were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were tempted. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, in goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, And look at their definition of them in verse 38. These were men of whom the world was not worthy. Men of whom the world were not worthy. And God chose to exert his power in their life by them suffering and by their death. Some people in the hall of faith live and get to see the reward for their faith. Some people are put to death. But the text says throughout the scripture, here's the good news. Eventually, you will be healed. Eventually, your problem will be gone. And eventually, you will receive the reward. But it may be on the other side of death. It may not happen here. 
So you may be feeling, wow, this started out really good, two people being healed, now we've got people being cut in two. You know, where is he going with this thing? The point is that Christ's power would be made manifest through your faith. You have faith in him. You take the step of falling down at his feet, trusting in him to work, and he will. It may just not be in the way that you would conceive the answer to your problem being. But it is going to be wonderful. It may hurt, but it is going to be wonderful because eventually you will see his power. And you will see that these things were done for his glory. He says, take away everything. When you're at the point where you have nothing in front of you, where you may be, you cannot think except about this. You can't breathe. You're only thinking about this. It doesn't really, everything is fading. Sports are fading. You know, my job is fading. My family is even fading. It's this. I have to, I'm drowning here. I need breath. When I get to that point, he says, fall on your face at his feet and present it to him. Give it to him. He says, I want your burden. I want to wear it. I will give you peace in that situation. He says, when you get there, come to Christ. Come to Christ. You will get to see his power at some point. Um, Let me touch on one more thing here. Flip back over to uh, Luke. Just real quick here. Flip back over to Luke. And I will now lose my title as every time John preaches, we get to leave early. Flip over to Luke, back where we were, and look at chapter 9. Now, you know in the original text here, there's no chapter or verse divisions. So the text just flows. So we just finished chapter 8. We just finished chapter 8, verse 56. Chapter 9 starts immediately. So in 56, that her parents are amazed. The daughter is healed. They're instructed to tell no one what happened. And then Jesus calls the twelve together. Okay, that flows together. Then Jesus calls the twelve together after this happens and gives them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. What did he just do? He just cast out demons, right? The demoniac. He just cast them out and he just healed people. He says, now I'm giving this to the disciples. Verse 2 says he will give them a purpose. He sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So he gives them power, he gives them purpose, and then look what he says to them. This is where we'll close, verse 3. Take nothing for your journey, not a staff, nor a bag, nor bread, nor money. Do not even have two tunics apiece. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. In your life situation, you are to trust in me and nothing else. It's even how he does ministry. He says, in ministry, take nothing. Trust in me to do the ministry. In this life situation, fall at my feet, let me do it. He says, I don't want them to have anything because if they have anything, they'll think that caused them to do better ministry. That caused them to do better things in life. He says to you, I'm going to strip this away. You are going to have nowhere to turn except to me so that you don't think you did it or that anything else did it and so that I may receive the power and the glory and the honor for doing this and for giving you my grace. Pray with me, please. Father God, this is a remarkable story. The fact that you are, have made yourself into the flesh and that you have calmed the ocean, that you have cast out demons, that you have healed people who are dead. 
that you have healed people who are sick that no one on earth could heal. Lord, that these people responded in faith, in you, and fell at your feet. Lord, and you then showed your power. And Father, we just pray that as a body and as individuals that we would fall at your feet. Lord, that we would realize that you are our only hope, that you are our only power, that you are everything that we need, and that we would fall at your feet and cry out, Jesus, I need you. Save me. Help me. And Lord, that we would do the same for your comfort if the situation doesn't change. Lord, that we would do the same for your power in the situation if it doesn't change. That we would cry out, Jesus, I need your comfort. You didn't choose to work in the way that I thought you would work, but you worked. Give me the comfort as I lay at your feet. Lord, we love you today. We praise you. And we thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and for your spirit. We pray that we would be a people who are changed. In Christ's name.